I want to call your attention now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And we'll read beginning at verse 1. Paul and Silvanus, which is Silas, and Timotheus, or Timothy, unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake." And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. <clears throat> and may God give his blessing to the reading of his word. We read earlier from Acts chapter 17 the details of what Paul refers to here in a very brief fashion. What the Lord did in Thessalonica. By God's sovereign direction and guidance, Paul came. Paul and Silas and others came to Thessalonica and with them came the gospel. And according to Acts chapter 17, Paul's ministry there in Thessalonica, and I think some pronounce it Thessalonica, I, I don't think I'll ever train my mind to say it that way, it was a ministry of only about three weeks. But during those three weeks, God wrought in, in, a, in an especially powerful way, in a concentrated way. And the effect was remarkable. Many believed the gospel. It speaks of a great multitude and many women and so on who believed on Christ. Well, there was immediately violent opposition <clears throat> raised against them, persecution. And so, for the safety of all concerned, the believers there, the young believers 
insisted that Paul leave town and no doubt to the sparing of his life, they thought. It is some months later that Paul writes this letter back to them. And he speaks of his joy upon remembering what God did there in their midst in Thessalonica. He speaks of their work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope. He was getting reports, probably from Timothy and perhaps others, of how things continued on there in Thessalonica. And this gave Paul certainty that they were among the chosen of God. Their initial receiving of the gospel, believing on Christ, and then their subsequent continuing with him, their faithfulness, even their willingness to suffer for him. Paul says, this tells me, brethren, beloved, verse 4, your election by God, that God has indeed chosen you to salvation before the foundation of the world. And he then gives this summary in verse 5 of what happened there. And this again is, is the basis upon which he knows that they were chosen by God for salvation. And we want to look at verse 5 here in particular today. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. As ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. The apostle by inspiration speaks of the gospel having come to Thessalonica. Our gospel came, he says. And, and he says it did not come this way, but it did come that way. He, in this verse, summarizes his preaching and their response to it, or his preaching and the work of, of the Spirit of God to enable them to this response to the preaching of the gospel. And it's interesting that he calls it our gospel. It was the message that Paul himself had come to believe. And we read of his dramatic conversion in the book of Acts as he was the chief persecutor on his way to persecute others uh, in Damascus, persecute Christians in Damascus. And he's transformed from a persecutor into an apostle by the grace of God. So he calls it our gospel. It was the gospel that he himself had believed and by which he had been saved and which he now had the privilege of declaring and proclaiming all over Europe. Our gospel, he says. <clears throat> he tells how it came. And that's what we want to underscore here as we look at this verse together. He tells 
how the gospel came to them in terms of its effect upon them. And there are four phrases here that all are prepositional phrases using the little preposition in. In the first case, he says how it did not come. It did not come inward only. And then in the remaining three phrases, he tells how it did come. In power, in the Holy Ghost, in much assurance. And let's look at these. How did the gospel come to Thessalonica? Well, in the first place, it came in word. It did not come in word alone, but it did come in word. And we should not pass over that lightly. God's work there in, in Thessalonica began with the word being proclaimed, the gospel message being given. And this is really an important thing to ponder. The gospel does not come to everyone in word. There are places on the earth today where the gospel has not come, where the message of Christ has not been heard. There are nations where it's outlawed and and Muslim nations of this world. And perhaps the word is there in in quiet underground uh, ways that we are not aware of. But there have been, as far as we know, many whole civilizations throughout human history that have risen and existed for hundreds of years and then fallen without so much as one word of the gospel of Christ ever being heard by any of those peoples. The only knowledge of God that they have is what is given in creation and and natural revelation, as Romans 1 says, but that's not sufficient unto salvation. It's nothing of the message of the gospel of Christ there. Not everyone has the opportunity that the people in Thessalonica had. The gospel does not come in word to everyone. And so we should consider it a great privilege to get to hear the word of God, the word of the gospel in particular. We should not take this privilege lightly. And certainly one way that God sends judgment upon a rebellious nation like ours is that he silences the preaching of the gospel and it doesn't come in word, at least as prevalently and and as commonly as it did. Let us rejoice that the gospel has come to us in word. Now, what does it mean in word? Well, the word word indicates a clearly 
defined, intelligent content to the gospel message. And this content must be communicated. This content is articulated with words. The gospel must come in word, first of all. Some years ago, there was a popular evangelistic tool that someone uh, came up with. I don't know if it's still popular today. I haven't seen it in a while, but it was called the Wordless Book. The Wordless Book was this little few pages folded together and had nothing but color in the pages. You know, the first page was white, as I recall, representing the, the purity of God, the holiness of God. Next page was black, uh, indicating the, the, the sinfulness of man and then the darkness, uh, spiritually speaking, in the heart of man. And then there was, I think, a red page, the blood of Christ and so on. And you, you can understand what was going on there. Now, <clears throat> let's suppose that you had a pocket full of those wordless books and went around and gave them to people. Would anybody be able to figure out what it was all about? And why not? Because there must be words. And as an evangelistic tool, that was only useful in any sense at all in as much as a person was explaining it with words. And you didn't really need the wordless book in order to give the word of the gospel. Can you imagine Paul saying something like, our gospel came not unto you in color only? <clears throat> there is no substitute, beloved, for the word or the words of Scripture and the word of the gospel, stained glass, pictures depicting Bible scenes uh, in stained glass are no substitute. Pictures are no substitute. Drama, which is popular in some uh, religious societies today, is not God's method. Motion pictures are not God's method. You know, sacred dance, and on and on we could go. This is not God's method. God has determined that the message of redemption be delivered with words. And that's what Paul came and delivered in Thessalonica. We read that faith comes by hearing in the book of Romans. We never read that faith comes by seeing or smelling 
or any other of our senses. It comes by hearing. And so let us appreciate the, the content of the message itself. And it, it is given in a very summary form in the passage in Acts 17 where it says that Paul went into the synagogue there in Thessalonica and he reasoned with them out of the scriptures. That's the Old Testament. Opening and alleging, and those are terms of, of debate, that Christ must needs have suffered. So he explains to them who Christ is and concerning his death and why it was necessary. And that he was risen again from the dead. And so there's the the resurrection. And that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ, is the anointed one, is the Messiah, is the the Savior that was promised beginning in in Genesis chapter 3. He says, our gospel came unto you, first of all, in word. Now, not in word only, but it did come in word. And it must come in word. It must begin with that. It must not end with that, if any are to be truly saved. But it must begin with that. Now, before we leave this, let's let's consider how that the gospel today comes in word in various ways and with various responses when it is in word only. This occurs when people are simply physically present as we are here today. Physically present. We move our bodies inside of a building or to a location where the word of the gospel is declared. But I'm afraid we all must acknowledge by our own sad experience that it's possible to be physically present under the sound of the gospel and not to hear a word of it. Not to pay attention to it. To be distracted. To be daydreaming. To be paying attention to other things. To be thinking about yesterday or tomorrow. And the word that we hear is meaningless to us because we're not paying attention. That is for the gospel to come in word only. But there are some who pay more attention to things and they find hearing the, the truth of God's word Entertaining. It's a source of interest and entertainment. A classic example of this is in our colonial history here in America when the brilliant Benjamin Franklin was befriended by the preacher George Whitfield. And Whitfield was a witness over a number of years to Benjamin Franklin. Franklin printed Whitfield's sermons in his print shop. He had conversations with Whitfield on a fairly regular basis. Uh, 
And Franklin went to hear him preach repeatedly. And he loved to hear George Whitfield preach. From the perspective of entertainment, Franklin found it fascinating, engaging. He just marveled how that Whitfield could move a crowd. And, of course, in Franklin's mind, it was nothing but man and his power of oratory and so on. And he would look around and, and see people just you know, marveling and, and weeping at the preaching of Whitfield. And, and Franklin just thought, this is, this is wonderful. And in some ways, even Franklin himself was moved. He tells about Whitfield taking up a collection for the, the orphanages uh, in Georgia. And at first, Franklin you know, took the smallest coin out of his pocket and, and determined he would donate that. And then as Whitfield continued to make his appeal, well, he, he pulls out a bigger coin. And, and before Whitfield is finished, he's emptied his pocket and, and gave all the money that he had with him to the orphanages that George Whitfield helped to run. But Benjamin Franklin never believed the message that George Whitfield proclaimed. He remained a stranger to grace and a stranger to Christ as far as we know till the day he died. And he was very proud of it. He said after Whitfield died, Mr. Whitfield often prayed for my conversion. And I have no reason to think that his prayers have been answered. That's an an example of the gospel coming in word, but in word only. We see something similar described even in the Old Testament. When Ezekiel preached to the nation of Israel, God says to Ezekiel, Thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear thy words, but they do them not. Oh, let's go hear Ezekiel today. Isn't he a beautiful speaker? And they didn't pay attention personally and inwardly to what he was saying. Some pay more attention than than that. They pay attention enough to comprehend what I would call the mechanics of salvation. How redemption works. How it operates. How it is applied. God sent his son to this earth as a man to live, to die, to rise again. And those who believe in him are saved Well, it's all very good. It's a fascinating story. From a a, a literary standpoint, it's a fascinating thing to consider. And some may even memorize words of Scripture and be able to repeat them. They may even preach these words to others. But until that person actually believes 
on Christ in the depths of his own soul. He remains lost and remains one who has received the gospel in word only. It's a dreadful state in which to be. In some places, people are led to repeat a prayer in which they call upon God for salvation and they say certain words themselves in response to God's word. But beloved, if the Spirit of God has not wrought inwardly upon that soul, and if a transformation does not occur by the power of God, then that is just another form of word-only-ism. They said some words, but the prayer was not sincere. It was just words only in response to a message that came to them as word only. And the result is nominal professors of religion with a false comfort and a false assurance of salvation. And I fear that there are multitudes around us in our city and in our country who are so sadly deceived and the word of the gospel has come to them, but it stopped at that. It was in word only. And the more I talk to people and the more I observe and hear, the more troubled I am about this. They have, in the words of Second Timothy, a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. That is, they have something that resembles religion, but their very life denies its efficacy. Their very life is void of a transformation wrought by the power of God in the gospel. No doubt hell will be full of people who in one way or another heard only the word of the gospel without experiencing the power of it and the life-changing effect of it. We might compare it to a sick person who hears about a medicine a medicine that has done great benefit to others who have the same sickness. And so this person goes about to, uh, to look into this medicine and perhaps they learn about it and read up all the details about it. They even find it available and they, they get it in their possession. They hold it in their hand even. And that's as far as it goes. 
they remain sick and they die because they failed to take the medicine. And yes, hell will no doubt be full of people who never took the medicine, though they were very close to it. There are people today who have some kind of assurance of salvation because they went up front at the end of a service and uh, did whatever they were told to do at the moment and now they've covered that base. Everything is fine. Don't worry about me. I know that I'm going to heaven But the remainder of our text is not a reality to them. The gospel didn't come in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. And so we all must do some soul searching today. And I'll look at these other things just briefly here. But... This is the first thing, and we've spent most of our time on this. The gospel came to Thessalonica in word. And today it comes to us here in word. But there must be more. Think of the many in Thessalonica who heard in word only. I mean, the people who were raising opposition and persecution against the believers... They heard the same message. But they heard it in word only. Those who were true believers, who had been chosen of God to salvation, heard more than word only. They heard, or to use the terms here, the gospel came to them also in power. In power. When they heard Paul preach, there was an inward revolution, an inward motion and action that occurred, wrought by an outside source, a power from without. That power came to be exerted upon them. And the change that it wrought in them could not be explained in purely human terms. They couldn't credit Paul with it. It wasn't Paul's power. It was the power of God. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Romans 1.16 tells us. God did a work here. God was exerting his divine power upon their hearts. He did an awakening and quickening work in them. He opened their heart to believe. I use those terms because that's how it is phrased with reference to another occasion with the heart of Lydia in Acts chapter 16. It says, whose heart the Lord opened. 
that she attended unto the things that were spoken by Paul. That is, she gave heed, she heard, she listened. And this was not in word only, but this was an inward hearty hearing that resulted in salvation. The gospel came in power. God made Lydia and a great multitude also in Thessalonica willing to give up their sin, willing to humble themselves before God and appeal to the righteousness of Christ and look to him for what they need and not to look to themselves and their own pitiful failing efforts. And yes, this again is is biblical wording. God's people are willing in the day of His power. His power changed their hearts, changed their desires, made them willing. The power of God imparted the gift of faith so that their hearing of the gospel was not in vain. It wasn't word only. But it was profitable to their hearts. That again is wording from Holy Scripture. In Hebrews chapter 4, he says, Unto us was the word preached as well as unto them. So there's the gospel word going forth. But it says, The word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Well, what makes it to be mixed with faith. Where does faith come from? The power of God enables us to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I hasten on. We have two more phrases here, and the more that I look at this passage, the more I think that really all three of these latter uh, phrases are all saying the same thing in different ways and, and from different perspectives. The gospel came in the Holy Ghost. Again, it was God himself and the, the third person of the Trinity in particular that was at work. These people heard more than a human instrument. They heard more than a human voice in the word of the gospel. God spoke to them. He spoke to them deep, deeply in their soul. And Paul describes this. It's a fascinating verse over in chapter 2. And verse 13, look at how he expresses it here. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Other people in Thessalonica heard Paul without hearing the Holy Spirit. 
Paul came and gave what we might call an outward call of the gospel. And as that outward call went out to, to all indiscriminately, there was an inward call of the Holy Spirit that went out to some particularly. And that inward call was effectual. It was effective. It brought about the result of salvation. And then the last phrase is, the gospel came in much assurance. And this may be the most challenging part of the verse to understand, but some think that this refers to assurance on Paul's part, to his own certainty uh, in his message, and perhaps reflects something of the passion with which he preached the word of God there. And while certainly that was true, and he even speaks of his own example there at the end of the verse. You know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. I think it's better to see this much assurance as referring to the certainty on the part of the Thessalonians who believed. In the sense that they did not embrace the gospel and believe on Christ with any reservations, with any doubts about the gospel, but rather they were fully convinced of its truth, fully convinced that this is the truth of God for us. And of course, elsewhere, Paul emphasizes that it was not his delivery, not his oratory that brought fruit. He says to the Corinthians, My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Notice he uses the same terms there as he does here. In the spirit and in the power. And so much assurance here, I believe, refers to the certain conviction, the certitude in the heart of the Thessalonians. This, this term, by the way, is elsewhere translated fully persuaded. It is elsewhere translated most surely believed. The ones whom God saved in Thessalonica were fully persuaded. We might say they were all in. There was no doubt. There was no hesitation. They were even willing to suffer for this newfound faith. Having, he says in verse 6, received the word in much affliction. And some of that is, is mentioned there in Acts chapter 17. They had once and for all found in Christ what their souls had longed for. Their search was over in finding Christ and being found by Christ. 
In the words of James chapter 1, they had received with meekness the engrafted word which was able to save their souls. Hearing in word only would be in contrast to having that word engrafted, implanted. When that occurs, there is certainty. There is absolute conviction concerning the truth of God and salvation in Christ. So, to summarize what we've seen here today, this is how the gospel came to Thessalonica. To some, it came in word only, but to those to whom Paul's writing this letter, it came not in word only, but it came as a word that in the the hand of God wrought a radical change in them. They were never the same again. Moreover, this is how the message of the gospel comes to everyone who is saved by it. Not in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and in full persuasion. Now, let me ask this question today. How does the gospel come to you? How does the gospel come to you? Does it come in word only? Or does it come in power, in the Holy Spirit, in much assurance? Does the truth of a crucified, risen Savior have a transforming impact in the depths of your soul? Is it the best news you've ever heard? Do you know the power of the gospel personally? Do you know what it is to be changed? If so, then thank God. If not, then my friend, I urge you, do not be content to remain a hearer of word only. Do not remain a hearer only, but by God's grace, be a believer. Believe the word. Obey the word. Repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, be changed, be transformed. It's not enough to hear in word only. You must know something of the power in your own heart. Let us examine ourselves and make sure this is true of each of us today.